It's Toronto's podcast on the Canada's Podcast Network. Hi, everyone, and thanks for listening. I'm Philip Bliss, a business visionary and co-host of Toronto's Podcasts, part of the Canada's Podcast Network, your source for great insights from entrepreneurs across Canada. Today, I'd like to introduce you to Rob Hunter. Rob has been an entrepreneur ever since he was a kid. He had an eBay account by the time he was 12 and sold Japanese professional wrestling VHS type tapes and DVDs to pay his way through university at the Ivy School of Business at the University of Western Ontario. He did so well, he was able to establish a mini student real estate empire. After graduation, he sold his properties and got into the ice cream business, opening seven marble slab ice cream stores by the time he was 25. Rob has had lots of tremendous highs and lows as a multi-unit franchisee and learned a lot of lessons along the way. In 2012, he got offered a great scholarship to do his MBA at the number one school in the world for entrepreneurship, Babson College. Since moving to Boston, he met a co-founder, a wife, and also immersed himself in the technology startup culture of the city. Right now, he's back in Toronto, and he's focused on growing Hire Me, a way for retail and hourly employees to find, screen, and hire better employees fast. So, Rob, tell us a little bit more about yourself, you know, where you're from. Give us the details on your current business or businesses. You know, just, just who is Rob Hunter? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, grew up in a small little town called Simcoe, about an hour and a half southwest of Toronto. Uh, we're both very familiar with <laughs> enough. Okay. Well, and it was funny, you know, my mom was a teacher at the local high school for a very long time. Uh, my dad was a security guard. So like sort of kind of, you know, basic small town background, um, but it always sort of been interested in the entrepreneurial journey. When I was 14 years old, I walked into a video store in Brantford, Ontario, just up the road from Simcoe, the big city for us, if you will. And I bought uh, an old VHS uh, professional wrestling videotape from a, a video store there for $9. Uh, I put it on eBay and uh, a few short days later, it sold for 60 American dollars. And I sort of realized at 14 that I, I may have something on my hands here. And so I eventually ended up building um, sort of a basic website, heavy eBay presence, selling primarily actually uh, Japanese professional wrestling and mixed martial arts like UFC videotapes and DVDs on the internet. And um, yeah, went off to university in London. I did the Ivy Business School there and saw that a lot of my friends were getting into, you know, the traditional investment banking and consulting sort of suit and tie Bay Street rules. Uh, but with my Japanese wrestling tape money, I had invested in a little bit of real estate. I owned a few student housing properties, which is a story for another time. But um, I sort of stayed away from those suit and tie jobs and ended up taking the money I had earned from those, those two ventures and actually getting into the ice cream business. So I opened up an ice cream store, Marble Slab Creamery. I was a franchisee in Kitchener. Uh, I opened up a second one a year later when I was 23 in Waterloo. And those two were gangbusters. They did amazingly well. Ultimately proved to be a little bit of sort of false positives. Uh, I ended up opening up five more stores very quickly after that. And frankly, they weren't very successful and really dragged down um, you know, the results I had gotten from the first two. So I found myself sort of wandering a little bit in my late 20s and, and not sure of what I wanted to do next. 
ultimately was very fortunate to get a scholarship to go do an MBA down in Boston, Massachusetts. So I, I moved to the U.S. and uh, sort of got out of the ice cream business. And through a, a long and sort of winding road, as I was finishing my MBA, we got Hire Me started. Hire Me is a recruitment platform specifically built for the ice cream store owner that I was, right? Built for the restaurant world, the retail world. And so first and foremost, we're a software as a service platform that helps find, screen, and hire employees for customers like Dunkin' Donuts, Panera Bread, McDonald's, Tim Hortons, et cetera. And so we've been at it about four years now. Uh, we've gotten some great results over those uh, few years that I'm excited to talk more about. We work with a few thousand customers all across North America. Uh, and along the way, we actually had the opportunity for, for me and a portion of the team to move home and, and come back to Canada. So we've been back in Toronto about a year now, and it's just been uh, sort of wonderful to kind of come full circle after spending some time down in the U.S. You know, you, you talked a little bit about it uh, being 14, but when, when you kind of discovered you could make money doing things that you didn't expect. But really, you know, what was the stop moment in your life that made you think, you know what? I'm not going to be an investment banker. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to become an entrepreneur. That's my life. Well, there's something that I've discovered that there's things that go off at certain times with people. What was that time? That's a very good question. I mean, there, there were things even before 14, right? Like there was yard sales where I would be so excited to pop up at 6 a.m. in the morning and sell old, old garbage, right? Um, I remember buying like little Tamagotchi toys in Brantford and selling them to my friends when I was like 11 and 12. I don't know. I, I have this sort of vivid memory of being around 14 or 15, um, just sort of looking up at the sky um, at, at night and, and sort of thinking about what I would want to do with my life. And I mean, I didn't know what an investment banker was at that moment in time. So I, I guess it wasn't necessarily deciding against that path. But I, I sort of knew from right around that age that, you know, I really did not I wanted to, to build my own my own thing and, and do my own my own thing. What it would be at the time, I had no idea. Um, I suppose I was a little a little techy at the time, um, and so I, I think I sort of maybe thought that eventually I, I would find my way into technology. Um, certainly, ice cream very far removed from that, so uh, you know, spent some time <laughs> away from it. But um, I don't know. I just I, I did the Ivy thing, and I had a great time. My, my last year in particular with a lot of the entrepreneurial courses was was wonderful. Um, but just sort of looking around and, and seeing the suit and tie and not knowing how to tie a tie until I was probably 23, right? Um, it, it, I don't know. It just, it just did not feel like, like, like who I was. And um, so I think that was sort of like the, the rubber stamp on a decision that, that, frankly, was already sort of in motion, you know, eight or nine years earlier. So what was interesting when you were doing your intro and the sort of about the focus thing, I mean, I kind of the stop, think, focus thing of entrepreneurs. You know, you started the ice cream business, you blew it up to five and blew it up, so to speak. <laughs> Tell us a little about that. Was that, was that Rob, Rob losing focus? Uh, uh, or I'm just curious, you know. I mean, <laughs> well, you know what's funny? I really do think with, with this specific chain, um, you know, about half of the locations that opened in Canada did end up closing, right? And so I think it it really was a case of false positives. Um, you know, the first store did okay. The second store was amazing. And, and that was really where I started to hit the gas. And so I think there was a bit of an element actually of, of like, you know, I had read um, uh, the E-Myth with, with Michael Gerber there about, um, you know, not necessarily um, buy, like a lot of entrepreneurs end up sort of buying a job. Um, and, and I sort of wanted a system rather than a job. And so I think I had sort of like had in my head that, um, you know, the, these stores individually, like 
can't really support like a dedicated salaried professional manager. And so I, I sort of had it in my head that I needed to get up to like four or five um, to really support like a, an operations manager, sort of a professional manager, yeah. for me to be able to kind of take a step back day to day. And I guess the, the, the master plan was always, you know, have five, six stores generating 75 grand or so in individual profit per store that would then allow me to hire a great manager for a hundred grand for all five, but mm -hmm. sort of step back from day to day and then pursue the grander idea. So I don't know, I, I was pretty focused and, and I think we, we really did try a lot, um, you know, to make those stores successful, but ultimately a, a lot of it was just bound, uh, bound to like making bad real estate decisions, making bad financing decisions, bad city decisions, right? It, it's a, it's a $9 ice cream cone that just doesn't necessarily work in, uh, in certain markets. So. So I don't mean to be derisive of investment bankers <laughs> many times. the entrepreneurial sector. But one of the things that most entrepreneurs is, you know, how do I get ro rolling? How do I finance? Where do I get it? Give your knowledge of that from the 14-year-old the running through to where you are <laughs> now. It's, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing. Well, and, and it's funny, I remember one of my entrepreneurial finance classes, I, I had, I had my, two of my best professors, both, both undergrad and graduate, were, were in that, that specific field. I remember one exercise we had to do was like, come up with a hundred different, like, here's a, here's a specific business, come up with 100 different ways that you can finance. And so um, the, the creativity around financing, I think, is, is really where I, I, I enjoy uh, a, a lot of things. So I don't know, with, with the ice cream stores, I can remember... Um, and perhaps I, I should have thought this through a little bit more, but it was a great strategy at the time. Um, there were a lot of stores of this brand that were failing in the U.S. And so at 22, 23, I was on a plane hopping down to Atlanta or Miami or uh, Detroit, you know, Detroit, even all over the place where uh, a marble slab had gone under uh, and was only two or three years old. And the equipment was available for 10 cents, 15 cents on the dollar. And so instead of paying a hundred grand for a brand new package of equipment, I was sort of at, you know, maybe 20 or so all in between travel and transport and, and all of that. Um, and, and perhaps the, the fact that there were so many failing might've been a, a good sign to pay attention to, but had it not been for those used equipment deals, uh, I would not have been able to move at the pace I, I did. Um, in fact, there were so many that I even turned the used equipment into a bit of a business as well and like flipped a few packages of equipment um, to, uh, to other franchisees. So that was certainly one, one piece. Um, obviously, with the ice cream stores, we did a lot of traditional um, sort of Canada Small Business Federation loans, CSBFL, I think is the acronym, uh, loans whereby they, they sort of loan against hard assets. Certainly with, with Hire Me, we've done more of, of sort of the, um, I was going to say the traditional, it really isn't the traditional, it's it's very different than, than traditional, uh, but we've done a lot of the, the angel investment, uh, venture capital, and, and frankly, even a lot of crowdfunding routes. Mm -hmm. But I am always sort of attuned to the fact that, you know, a dollar from a customer is worth five times what a dollar from an investor is worth. And so, you know, we've even structured stuff with customers where we'll gladly give a discount for paying a year in advance, because then it's money that we don't have to go borrow or don't have to go sell equity in the company for. Um, okay. So I think it's, you know, really just sort of having a mindset for when, when does the cash transfer to whom? So let's move to you a bit more. I mean, what does a typical day look like for you? You know, uh, how do you maintain the kind of focus it needs to keep on succeeding? Because, you know, that's, that's a big part of it. I changed my routine up dramatically this year, and it sort of gave me my sanity back. And so I'm a big advocate for this routine. 
for any entrepreneurs um, with young children. So we have an 18 month old, uh, she is the light of my life and it would be terrible for me to let either her or my business, um, you know, go away. So my a typical day, I'm usually awake by about five to six or so, like 5.55, six o'clock. Um, I get up very quickly and I'm usually out the door by about 6.20. I'm in front of my, my office computer by 6.35, 6.40. Um, no traffic at that time of the morning, which is great. Um, I will put in a good solid, you know, two and a half hours or so. And, and I find at that time of the morning, I'm really able to move at, at double, triple speed where you're not sort of getting bombarded all the time. At nine o'clock, I will break and I will go and run. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a marathon runner. I've done marathons in nine different states, trying for 50 eventually. And so that, that sort of mid-morning break is nice. Um, I'll then have an early lunch, go back to work. And honestly, I'm typically home, like I'm typically leaving for home by about 4, 4.30 since I've been at the office at 6.30 which gives me, you know, two, two and a half hours with the baby before bed, spend some time with my wife, and then usually another half hour, hour of, of sort of email and sort of deep prep for the next day um, before bed. But I don't know, I, I found I've always, I've never been like a, a 14 hour a day burn the candle at both ends guy, but I move at a quicker pace in the, you know, eight or nine hours I put in than, than just about anybody. So that's, um, I'd say sort of how I operate. So with, with Hire Mir, which is your focus now, I mean, obviously, you're not just doing business in Canada. Why Toronto? You know, you you were already in the states. Uh, I think you said you married someone from the states, and you know, you're in Boston. It's a pretty pretty great city. I mean, know it. I know it. You know. Well, and it was really just sort of an interesting domino narrative, I guess. Um, so we were in Boston. We had raised some money, um, and in fact, we we'd actually just closed some new money when we heard about a program called Forty Three North in Buffalo. And 43 North is sort of a uh, program um, funded by the, the state of, of New York and specifically upstate New York, where they invest $5 million in eight uh, to early stage companies every year. And in exchange for that, you end up sort of you know, committing to spend a year in Buffalo. So we you know, were trying to have a baby at the time. And uh, my wife uh, is from Rochester, New York, which is an hour east of Buffalo. I'm from Southern Ontario. And... Um, I don't know. I think we were really sort of attracted by that program. So we, we ended up moving to Buffalo, took the investment, which was great. And I'll be honest, we just had a really hard time hiring uh, in Buffalo. We, we were not really able to attract um, sort of the talent that, that we needed for the company. Mm -hmm. And given that Toronto was sort of the nearest tech hub, uh, we started hiring people in Toronto. We ended up with some of the executives of the company there uh, and some major contracts and some major companies and, and stuff and relationships and partnerships with companies in Toronto. And so after our commitment in Buffalo came to an end, it was just sort of a natural decision. Hey, do we, we go back to Boston? Uh, well, a good chunk of the company is now in Toronto. And so it was just sort of this natural decision to, uh, to come here. And, you know, it's home. It's, it's where, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm familiar with. And so to, to raise my daughter back home in Canada, but still be close to my, my wife's family and still, you know, be able to hop on a Porter flight back to Boston and get there really quickly. It's just been the, the best company. Yeah, it's a... Pretty good triangle kind of thing. It really is. It yeah. Really is. Uh, so getting a bit less business, we do some of our best work outside the office. Is there a place in Toronto or close to the city where you like to recharge, get inspired? You know? Yeah. You know, I will say since, since coming here, um, uh, you know, last summer I was sort of in, in summer, fall, I was in marathon mode. And so you know, the, I don't even know if it's got a name, but, but like the, the trail path that runs along, um, the lake shore, right, right, right along the lake there. 
we're, we're not too far, we're, you know, maybe a kilometer from that um, where we live. And so I was putting in, you know, 20, 25, 30 kilometer runs on there pretty consistently. Been a little cold uh, this spring, so I, I haven't gotten out there too much this uh, this time of year. But um, I think that that was definitely where some of my recharging came from. And frankly, some of my best ideas came from uh, was, was running along that, that trail. Do you think entrepreneurs have to be weird, unique, <laughs> kind of wired differently? Or is it just the way it, the way it is? I think many entrepreneurs are very quirky, and I think I am certainly an example of that. I do think quirkiness can also be found in in sort of normal people, right? Normal employees. Um, I'm I'm 34 years old, and I, I've never really had a formal boss. I've, I've you know had an internship here or there. I've been a contract employee here or there, but I've never had like a full time salaried role. And so I, I've got to say, like I, I I think I've been spoiled a little bit, and I don't know whether I could ever deal with the sort of structure that would come with having someone else be able to make decisions for where I spend my time. Mm-hmm. And certainly to some extent, I guess people do, you know, we have customers, we have investors, like there's, there's responsibilities that have to get done that I have to, to do. Right. But that flexibility around time and, and role, I, I do think is, is maybe something that is a little bit more inherent and more innate um, and, and, and weird. Um, you know, my, my wife is getting back into the workforce now, um, you know, after spending, you know, a year and a half with the baby. And uh, it, it's something that I'm, I'm finding tremendously hard to empathize with because I, I've never applied, like, I've, I mean, I've applied, I've never, never really had a job. So I think that piece of it is, is a little bit, little bit unique to, uh, to the entrepreneur. So what books are you reading now, you know, or bo- audio books or whatever? Is there a book that you would say changed things for you? Yeah, and and it's funny. I I do a bit of reading now as as best I can. I I, I don't know. I, I'm at this moment in time. I'm reading Pet Cemetery by Stephen King. I, I like Stephen King. <laughs> I will say there are some monumental books that that frankly have sort of changed my life. Um, maybe I'll just I'll highlight two real quick. One is <laughs> is called No Cash, No Fear, and it sort of is marketed as like an instructional non-fiction book and, and obviously it's non-fiction but it really is more of a biography than anything else and it tells the story of steve allen something like that anyway um his, he he is a lifelong entrepreneur has won and lost a million times in business um and just sort of hearing hearing his tale of, of success and failure uh, i've done some adjunct lecturing and i actually read a chapter of his book uh, around the holidays uh from when he tried to start a, a toy store at christmas time and so that's my my christmas entrepreneurial the second book I'll highlight is, is a speaker, author, um, you know, person that has just made an impact in my life. When I was 13 years old, my uncle gave me um, Success is Simple by Larry Wingett. I don't think it's in print anymore, but Larry Wingett is sort of a, a well-known figure. He's, he's written a number of books. Um, Success is Your Own Damn Fault, I think, is, is one of them. Uh, Shut Up, Stop Whining, and Get a Life is another. Um, anyway, Larry... Um, taught a, a 13-year-old version of me about personal responsibility and about uh, grit and about perseverance and positivity and not making excuses for yourself. And I think those were very important life lessons for me to, uh, you know, to learn at that, that moment in time. So if I was stranded on a desert island and needed to figure out a way to get off, I would read No Cash, No Fear and uh, one of the Larry Winged books. If you weren't doing what you do now, what would you like to do for a profession? I would be teaching. I would be teaching. I've done some adjunct lecturing back in Boston. Uh, I would love to be doing it here and, and hopefully will if I can carve off some more time. But I find I, I consider myself um, uh, an extroverted introvert where I really do like 
uh, quiet time and I like to be sort of left alone to get my own work done. But I also like being the center of attention. And so when I can stand up in front of an audience and help them and speak and, and sort of, um, you know, work on, on their level, um, I, I really do enjoy that. And so some of the, the students I've taught uh, limited amounts have been just, just some of the best stuff I've done. So win, lose, or draw with, with Hire Me, I think we're, we're definitely, yeah. definitely going to be more of that. So what kind of job would you not like to do? <laughs> I have a feeling some, sometimes you sort of romanticize, right? And you say, man, if I had you know, just gone to work at a big company and you know, sort of show up nine to five, not everything about stuff at the end of the day, you, you, you sort of romanticize a little bit. But I really probably think I would be very miserable. You know, the idea of not being able to dictate my own schedule. I remember, you know, there's certain at certain times in my life in school and things where it's like you're just sort of putting hours in for the sake of putting hours in. That, that's probably the thing I hate the most. You know, if, if it was a job where the culture would be to stay until seven or eight o'clock, regardless of whether you have work or not, just because everybody else is staying until seven or eight o'clock. And I think I, I'm, a, I'm a fast processor. I like to get stuff done quickly so that I kind of can maintain focus and then focus on something other than work once it's done. So I think something with, with too much structure with, with sort of those things would, would be maybe tempting, but, but terrible for me. <laughs> What's your favorite word you know, or quote that you use? One of Larry Wingett's, uh, I, I've gone back to a lot, um, and I, I hope I don't butcher it now that I've said I've gone back to it a lot. Uh, discover your uniqueness and learn to exploit it in the service of others, and you will be guaranteed health, wellness, success, and prosperity, something okay. like that. And so okay. I, I like that one a lot. What's your least favorite word or, or quote? I don't know if I can boil it down into a quote. I, I do think um, structure or overstructure, over I suppose, or you know, perfection over pace of work, right? Anything that sort of ties to that, I think, is is not, um, you know, a, you know, a, a job worth doing. You must do it 100%. I, I think 100% is is foolish. I think we need to get to 90, 95, and, and get off the, the next thing because there's so much to do. So what keeps you up at night? If anything, my, ba my baby last night. <laughs> she sleeps pretty well normally. I'm not sure. You know, I, I will say one of the things we've tried to do with Hire Me, and and, and this is not you know, related to the to, you know the core business at all or not, but. You know, we, we did Y Combinator years ago, and I think we saw so many of our colleagues, frankly, almost overcapitalize their businesses and, and go and raise millions of dollars of institutional capital um, and not necessarily um, turn it into a, a profitable business. And so I think maybe there was a time in my life uh, a couple of years ago where, you know, what objectively is this company worth versus how much have we raised was a concern for me. And like, oh my God, we, we are reliant on outside capital to survive. And I think we've just been scrappy and made good decisions and been smart with money. Um, and we're now at a point where we, we never need outside capital again um, if we don't want it. And so I think having that optionality has allowed me to sleep better <laughs> than I did a couple of years ago. Any, I mean, that was good advice in, uh, in itself. Any other advice you want to pass on to entrepreneurs in Toronto or in Ontario? In Simcoe, whatever. <laughs> well, I think, you know, entrepreneurship has become all the rage. Uh, startups have become all the rage. And I think the, the biggest mistake we made, um, and, and to our defense, I'm not sure what we necessarily would have done differently at the time. I, I know stuff we, we perhaps could have done differently, but, but wouldn't have without the knowledge we have now. Um, it's just like, if you have this great idea for a technology company, get to revenue as fast as you possibly can. 
Um, pitch decks are wonderful. The ability to stand up at a pitch competition and, and articulate your grand vision is, is wonderful. And it's all important and wrong. Um, but the thing you need to figure out as quickly as possible is like, will people pay for this? And more like beyond that, it's like, is there a sustainable business model around whether people will pay for it or not? And so, um, you know, don't over concern yourself with having the 100% perfect pitch. The pitch gets better if the business is better. So go work on the business and get it started before you, you know, obsess about raising money. So this is, this is the one we ask everyone across the country. And you sort of answered it a little bit earlier on, but there's a small tropical island off Fiji yeah. that only has one phone booth, no internet. We drop you off there. You don't have a computer or a smartphone. You can use the phone booth located there anytime to call the boat and we'll come and get you. How long would you last before you made that call? What would you do there while you were there? I think you can maybe answer that. That's a great question. Um, I mean, if I can somehow figure out a way to survive, that, that would maybe be my you know, first, first priority, right? But, but presuming I was able to be okay in that, on that you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You would leave some food behind for you. You'd leave some food, okay. If there's some food behind, I, I could see, I mean, you know, I'd want to get back to my daughter, right? So I think that's a big consideration. But if, if time perhaps at home could stand still, I might hang out for a couple of months, to be, to be honest. I think yeah. um, I, I, as an introvert, I can, I can very much keep myself amused. And, you know, the ability for um, long runs on the beach for a few months and, uh, you know, to really um, sort of just internalize and compartmentalize, I would say if, 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 it, if it weren't for my daughter, um, I, would, uh, I would probably hang out for a little while. Uh, but if time continues marching forward at home at the same pace, I'll, I'll probably make the call pretty quick. I, I don't want to miss her. her Great. <laughs> so that's coming to the end of the interview. You know, uh, how can our listeners get a hold of you? And is there anything you'd like to add before we call it a day? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm Rob Hunter on LinkedIn. I think my LinkedIn game is pretty good. So if you search for me, I should be near the top. Feel free to email me. Um, the folks that own H-I-R-E-M-E.com are incredibly unreasonable and want millions of dollars for their domain name. And so we have branded ourselves as HireMe, H-I-G-H-E-R-M-E.com. And so I'm just Rob, R-O-B, at H-I-G-H-E-R-M-E.com. Um, and I think, you know, the one thing I will say, um, having spent five years in the U.S. before coming home, part of the reason I went to the U.S. is because it, it sort of felt like there wasn't this really developed, like, tech startup entrepreneurial scene in Toronto when I left. And so I would say, A, it's, it's just sort of really exciting for me to be home and see that that scene is, is now here um, and, and sort of thriving, right? And so kudos to everybody in that scene. Uh, keep it up. And I'm, I'm really excited to be uh, you know, a, a big part of it in, in the future as well with this company and perhaps others down the road too. So really cool to be home. That's, that's great. Thanks for joining us on Canada's podcast. We'll see everyone next time. Thanks, everyone, for taking the time today to listen to Toronto's podcast on the Canada's Podcast Network. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today. Make sure you sign up for our newsletters or write a review for us on iTunes. You can connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or at canadaspodcast.com. You can also check out what other entrepreneurs are doing across the country. I'm Phil Bliss. See you next time.